Hi everyone, welcome to episode one of Switch Done with me, Paula Logboy. This is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything on my mind this week. In this episode, I'm talking to a good friend of mine, Carlo Piliti, about international development. It is actually how we met about seven years ago at university where we both studied the course. Just like every good friendship, although we don't always agree on everything, we have very similar outlook on life and things. And I look forward to sharing with you one of those conversations now. But yeah, kind of give us a bit of background about yourself. Where do you come from? Where do your, where do your family originate from? What are you, in a sense? Well, my story is very boring. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm half Italian and half Eritrean. Okay. I grew up okay. 11 years in Eritrea, East Africa. And I did a bit of traveling. Like I lived in Canada, Italy, here. Um, but I've like, you know, been to different places, um, like traveling. And I think that was like, you know, one of the things that like really attracted me to international development is the fact that, you know, I was uh, very exposed to different cultures and um, like, you know, some of the hardships that other people who were less fortunate be, than me went through. Okay, um, good. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, uh, yeah, and before I came to uni, I was actually a bit lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so then I did a three months um, volunteering project with BSO, um, which is the government branch for international development. And I volunteered in Kenya, uh, where I did um, like you know, several projects around the co- uh, community in Kakamega which is like the north, um, west of um, what's called the Kenya, and also worked with uh, USAID as well, which is the American branch of uh, what's called international development. Okay, okay. So you, you, you definitely had a bit, of a, a, bit of, a bit of journey before you actually got into international development as a course. You actually had a bit of time to get involved in the development space, if, if I may say so. Yes, so yes, you yes, came. Sir. So you came into the space with a bit of knowledge and a bit of more practical knowledge as to what development looks like and how the implication of that around the world, in a sense. Yes, but of course it was very limited knowledge, um, it, and that's probably why, like you know, once I started doing the course and started to really understand the third sector, or you could say the non-profit sector. Uh, is when I started to kind of like uh, distance myself more and more from it as I started to like, you know, almost try to rationalize um, uh, what's called NGOs roles in um, like the current um, kind of like climate of like, you know, people's situation and what they say that they're like, you know, tackling to solve. It might be poverty, hunger, um, like, you know, but yeah, so that you said you wanted to leave that topic for later, though. So, okay, yeah, yeah no, definitely. Yeah, we, we, can, we, can, we can lead into this right now, in a sense. So we did, we did study the same course at University International Development yes. and Geomanagement, um, looking at how basically, it basically just looks at the development of less developed country and how we can bring them up to a specific mm-hmm. standard of, of living, in a sense. And um, this kind of leads into the topic I want to touch on this episode, which is to talk about solving world hunger and what the deal is with world hunger and why it has been in the news as of late and uh and the whole kind of like the, 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 the basically the, <laughs> if if i want to be as honest as possible just the whole it feels like banter to me when i see the un and other people talk about world poverty because and world hunger simply because 
it's getting to the point whereby when they talk about it, it feels more like gesturing. They just they just they just yeah. talking the talk, but not really walking the walk. And this kind of maybe touches onto my earlier um, time in the course itself that we studied. Why, in a sense, some people thought that I was quite harsh with my takes as to development, and why I I always had an issue with people that had this kind of like mentality of save the savior mentality that we can come into africa and save africa from itself we can provide them food we can end hunger we can do all of this stuff but not under understanding the mechanics behind why this stuff still actually persists why hunger still persists around the world why poverty still persists around the world why massive inequalities still persist around the world and why in those so-called third world countries they keep still getting pillaged by the other countries around the world of course, it's um, a, a big problem uh, with that is uh, you, what some people would call neo-colonialism it's in the sense how colonialism never ended when after World War II, when you know, the uh, countries started gaining independence because um, like one of the problems was that you know, the international organizations, IMF, World Bank, and World Trade Organization that come around, which became to a certain extent America is kind of like arm to kind of like control um, the world market yes. and uh, the trades of goods because it was the like you know after World War II it became the superpower along with Russia but of course like you know uh, America came out stronger and with these organizations um, America pushed their foreign uh, like well domestic and foreign policies across the globe um, which meant that like you know um, it would serve its interests before other countries yep, yep. meaning protecting its its own um, international organizations uh, before um, other countries so if you let's say um, you were a developing country and you had a, um, a car manufacturing company that just started up um, most Western countries um, kind of like implemented, uh, oh, sorry, um, uh, policies of protectionism. So yep. where they would stop foreign uh, competition from coming in. So uh, basically, you want to kind of lead this topic into the, the current situation with the UN and Elon Musk, the richest man in the world right now. Uh, as of the last time I checked, because <laughs> it keeps changing between yeah. him and and Bezos. But uh, but yes, the richest man right now, the guy that has more wealth than the country of Finland, if, uh, from the latest report, and he kind of got into a little bit of a tiff with the UN um, regarding like ending world hunger. My first question to you is: Do you think we would ever end world hunger? Um. No, I don't think so. At this very moment, I don't see, unless we develop some new, like, you know, uh, like crazy technology that would somehow solve that. Because right now that our limitations is logistics. And of course there's like, you know, geographic where some yep. parts of the world there's droughts and stuff like that. And the world population keeps increasing. So um, the demand and pressure to feed all these, you know, hungry mouths is increasing dramatically, and the more uh, of the world become adopts kind of like a lifestyle, like the American, like a Western lifestyle, 
where we could we over consume yeah. like you know uh, then we should then it's going to create real big pressure um on um, like you know developing countries to produce food for the wealthier for the wealthier country but and but, not feed their own but it's the, uh, currently we do produce more food than the world actually needs and you touched on it basically it comes to logistics because we're producing more food and we have so much food going to waste simply because we can't get the food to the right locations that it needs to get mm-hmm. to or we can't dispense it to the right locations and as a result we're actually expending so much energy when it comes to resources to produce food that actually goes to waste so technically world hunger can be solved or we can do as much to actually curtail world hunger because right now it's actually increasing simply because of like you said the droughts the current situation around the world conflict and stuff like that is definitely causing an increase in world hunger but if we are creating so much food that goes to waste then technically instead of us focusing more on actually production of food i think we need to focus a lot more on actually the distribution of food because there's no point yeah. in spending this much amount of energy creating and developing and producing food if it just goes to waste and this is this goes this goes not just to the western countries but also to around the world other countries around the world that actually produce food but might not have the best infrastructure to store food um to process food which means that when once those raw materials and those raw produce go past their very very short shelf life then they get disposed of or have to get That's disposed right. of mm-hmm. yeah so, it is um like the the main problem because the many developing countries were never allowed to like you know really uh, build their infrastructure right and uh, i think this is something that we talked about many times in our course where um, there are signs where like you know it was never in the western interest to actually create a good infrastructure for the developing nations as it kept them in a cycle of like you know poverty where of they were relying off yeah of course on foreign aid and uh, um, where they weren't able to really like you know uh, have good infrastructure for hospitals schools um, factories uh, transports and stuff like that right yeah. so they were always going to be exporting primary goods and importing manufactured secondary, goods secondary goods yes but yes yeah. and actually spending a lot more money trying to import those products into the country whereby if they actually had the right facilities to actually take their primary produce and actually turn it into secondary produce then it would it would stop the dependent on world or, or, or on the world aid program on the on, on on the west and stuff like that so they will go from yeah. a dependent country to actually being a force of a force of nature as a country so countries mm-hmm. like nigeria countries in, in uganda all those, all those other countries countries in asia that could actually propel themselves to actually become superpowers simply because if you actually give them the chance to actually turn their raw produce into actual finished goods and then they can they can sell that to the world they pocket more of that money and Yes. So when, when when I look at that and I look at the whole the whole Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, and him with the UN having a tea and th- <laughs> having a little back and forth talking about how oh if if you can show me the books as to how you how you're gonna use the money to end world hunger, Elon said is gonna sell his stock in is gonna sell his stock in, in in Tesla and all that and just and just the whole back and forth. For me, 
it seems it looks like a game it looks like a game people are playing with other people's life i don't know i don't know if you look at it that way but for me it seems like we have people that don't actually understand the basic needs of other people and are able to kind of come on such a large scale on such a large platform to talk about oh we can do this with hunger we can do this without we can do this we can do this but not actually understanding that they're actually people that are literally going hungry while these two people are online or this this two basically entities are online having a back and forth well basically yeah like um the un uh, um because the comment came from the director of the un uh, food program right? yeah uh, david um i think his name is spelled his second name is basely something like that and he so he said that you know like elon musk if he gave him like two you percent know, of his net worth you could solve world hunger which is like you know completely false statement it's like um because the un and uh, what's called the world food program they um managed to raise like you know billions every year and yet that does not seem to help so um two percent of uh, musk network i think someone said was around about six billion right? yeah so and yes as you said elon was like yeah show me like all right if show me your true, books show me, yeah show me the accounting and make it available to everyone because one of the things was like as well we don't really know what the u.n transparency really all of this, yeah there's no transparency, transparency yes right? yes and, and, this, and this is an issue said, i've always had with people especially when people talk mm-hmm. about like ngos and organizations and i'm like you have this organizations raise so much money from the general public but in a sense, they are still unaccountable because it's like you can tell, like you you can say you raise this amount of money, but we don't really see the outcome in most in most most occasions. We don't really see the outcome of that amount of money that's been raised. And when you talk about Elon Musk, six, uh, um 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 two percent of his wealth is equals to about maybe six billion or something like that. But if the UN has been raising that kind of money every year for the past however long. Then my question is, why is this the world hunger? Yeah, it, it's true. It's, it, the reason is uh, what's called them um, because they uh, they don't want to talk about what's the real cause of the like you know uh, the issue with the world famine in certain regions um, because addressing those would mean like you know actually changing. Uh, like you know trade policies and also like you know some of the countries kind of like uh, attitudes towards um, like you know food as you said because there's like you know waste and stuff like that yeah they said their problem is simple like they uh, like what the director did he kind of like tried to virtual signal in a sense where he's like oh look at this guy he's making so much money hard-earned money like I, I like i don't agree with everything that elon musk does but like you know he, he definitely i think he's earned his money right each and every penny he's a hard-working man very intelligent um and so this director just comes and says oh yeah you know this guy he's so rich he's holding money he's, instead if he just gave two percent which is like you know two percent for anyone is a small number right so like two percent of his money, like you know, he could solve this issue, right? <laughs> but then it's like you know, when Elon Musk came to him and he said, "Yo, uh, like tell me this and like you know, give me the numbers and then I can give you that money," 
because of course two percent of anything is yeah. very very tiny like you know you probably wouldn't even feel like you know two percent of your salary if you said give a one of two percent uh, donation to uh, a certain charity under your name you'd be like okay yeah if that's going to solve this issue i'm glad you do it but of course, I, he still never came back and said, "Okay, here, here we go. We can, we can do this. We can, we can show you the books." <laughs> yes, yes, basically. He, of course, they don't basically. want it because they would see how much, like you know, the really money gets wasted on bureaucracy, right? There, because that's go. the number one problem. Yep. It doesn't actually. A lot of that money doesn't actually go to uh, the actual course. Was, yeah. Yeah. It, it actually it goes, goes into to, running the machine. Yes, of course. And that's the main issue with like, you know, some of these big NGOs when they get so big that they become like almost like a, uh, uh, a company. Like private company, a private yeah, company. A private. That's, what, that's what it feels like. It, right? it, they become, profit. They be, there we go. Because then it becomes about, it, it becomes about the money and the margin of money you can make and, and the amount of money that then is spent on the organization within the organization, instead of actually on the specific courses that you're actually raising money for. But this kind of this kind of brings me to another another kind of like side topic regarding Elon Musk and billionaires in a time of this where we have we have where we have a climate crisis, we have a hunger crisis, we have a poverty crisis, we have an expanding just an expanding population, um, people stagnant wages and stuff like that. My question is because I'm still trying to understand in a world that is at this level, is it is it right that we have people? Is it right that we have billionaires as as something that people can attain? And in some cases, maybe the maybe the word isn't easily, but in some cases, the actual the actual rate of billionaires is actually increasing year by year. Of those that are actually becoming that that level of wealth is actually increasing year by year, but we see a diminishing of those in the middle class and the lower class. So my question is. Is it right that in a society, in a world that we live in right now, that actually billionaires exist? Okay, so billionaires, yes, they should exist. I think the question is, like, I think would be better phrases, should we have such a huge gap between the super wealthy and the people who have barely anything, right? Um, then that would be enough. I think people, everyone should have like at least a bare minimum, right? To yeah. be able to sleep without worry that like, you know, what am I going to feed myself and my family tomorrow? Um, how am I going to pay for these bills? All these kind of things that should not be right. Um, but I am not against like people being incredibly wealthy. Um, I think if someone's worked hard, and they're smart, talented, um, then yes, they should have the money because, you know, usually some of these people invest their money on bigger things and they're able to create certain projects. Like some of the things that we have at this moment would not exist if we didn't have these super rich and super wealthy individuals. Because it comes from the private sector. Most of 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 the key development and most of the key infrastructure development and that actually comes from the private sectors or those in the private sector instead of actually the government so i do i do see because they drive they drive development yes yeah of course because they see like you know they're the first ones to see like you know um a need or like a niche in the market where there's a, a gap and they are able to 
like you know problem solve and find a way to make a business around it which serves like you know that goal it might be a social thing like you know um or it might be like you know um entertainment wise whatever it is but then they're able to kind of like you know uh, give something of uh, value to society okay this is this only comes from the what's called the, the private sector yeah yeah because because the in a sense the public sector doesn't produce anything the public sector doesn't 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 produce wealth and it isn't it isn't it isn't meant to if that's if that's the right way to phrase it the public sector isn't actually meant to produce wealth it's meant to in a sense secure secure a standard living for society for people in society in general through various infrastructure taxation and stuff like that education system that to make sure that people have the basic the basic needs we maintain that that's what that's basically the job of the government protect the basic needs of people protect the security of security of people make sure people have the rights and 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 the freedoms and stuff like that but when it comes to actually wealth wealth creation um, yes, it is. It is in the it is in the realm of the the private sector or private entities yeah. or private individuals. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. do I do feel like the government, in majority of the cases, is actually beholden to the private sectors or the private entities. They because mm-hmm. the more the more the more you look at it is who's actually holding them accountable if the government is in bed with them. <laughs> yeah if the government is embedded with them then who holds them accountable then because then the public is left to just deal with whatever the case might be mm. yeah it's um it's a tricky one because um you are right where like you know the private sector does have leverage because of the huge amount of capital that they um, some companies hold and some individuals right so they yep. can cause pressure to governments saying Oh, you, you don't like, you know, you, you're going to cause my business problem. That's fine. I'll just go somewhere else, you know, take my business and all the jobs elsewhere and, you know, losing a couple of thousand jobs here and there would be a huge, huge yeah. problem for, for any countries yeah, to yeah. be reelected. Right. So yep. if, if I'm a president and all of a sudden, like I, I sent um, a comp, like a, again, a car manufacturing company uh, to, manufacture their products abroad and uh, all the jobs that were in like in my current country are lost that's a huge problem that's yeah. a very big problem because then people are gonna like you know start thinking oh um he's not good he's just gonna keep scaring away businesses and these people lost their jobs how long before i lose my job because yeah. of um his beef with uh kind of like um these companies it's a very like you know tricky line that you have to kind of like um that you have to toe <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. uh you know like um for it is true that like you know um and it's good that politicians are held to account by the public and stuff like that but um companies should also be held account where sometimes it does happen where like you know some companies are held to um, a certain standard that they have to uphold um, and that they have to be fair, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And and I think the EU is doing quite a lot of that. It's like, that's why, like, you know, um, 
uh, what's called the um, the British border to kind of like leave because the EU put a lot of laws and regulations against uh, oh, the Brexit, the Brexit talk, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Brexit. But no, you know, the, Bre- <laughs> the Brexit talk is, is another talk for a different day because, yeah. because, you know, you know, my stance when it comes to the European Union as, a, as an entity, simply because is I always look for how you can hold an organization or a political organization accountable. And for me, I look at the European Union as an entity, as a governing body, isn't accountable to no one. And I think that is just that is just my only beef with it as an entity, because I'm like, you can't go around the world preaching democracy and stuff like that if you as an organization or, or as an entity, a political entity, a political union, isn't actually accountable to nobody. And that is a wrap, folks. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. Let me know what you think about this episode and much more by following us on Instagram at swishton underscore with Paul. And remember to like, follow, and share. On to the next one. Peace out.